After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around even under its wings. Day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the, sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth 
and on the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Good morning, uh, everyone. Well, um, when you hear such a reading, it can't help but say, um, and this is the word of the Lord, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the book of Revelation, it's a revelation of Christ Jesus. And, and in this book, incredibly, uh, the curtain of heaven is drawn back. And we get to see the unseen spiritual realities. We get to see the unseen God. His glorious nature and character is made known to us in a language that, quite frankly, is unique to Revelation. We get to see an unparalleled vision and I mean an unparalleled vision of what God has done in the past, what he's doing now, and what he'll do in the future. With the eye of faith, we get to see unseen spiritual realities, including our destiny and the destiny of the entire universe. Such a wonderful panorama of the glory of God and the heavenly realities is intended to bless our souls, is it not? How can it not? Christ's revelation is to lead us to see the world through the eye of faith. It's to move us to live our lives here on earth that actually reflect the heavenly realities. It's to give us a spiritual awareness that affects every part of our life and being. It is a glorious revelation. And in light of this second part of our series, I want to share with you how I've been praying for you. I'm praying that through this series we will see with the eye of faith the unseen heavenly realities, that they will become more real to us than the things we see on earth. I've been praying that the Lord will give to us a glorious expanding vision of his glory, that we will come to know his fullness more deeply. And I've been praying that God will give to us. He will lead us to see that heaven is not just a place but a life. And that the Holy Spirit would lead us to live the heavenly life today. So as we venture into these two chapters, let me lead you in prayer. Oh, gracious and glorious God, would you have mercy upon us today? Anoint our eyes 
that we will see the things that you would have for us to see, that your glorious transforming work upon each of us will be experienced exponentially. And Father, grant to us the eye of faith, that through faith, the certainties and the surety of things unseen and hopeful will become ever more real to us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 begins with John the Apostle being invited by Jesus to come and look inside a door that leads to the heavenly throne room. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's extraordinary. John is being invited to see God from the heavenly perspective. The first thing that John sees is a throne with someone sitting on it. Now, the one who was on the throne was majestic in appearance. That is, God has the appearance of red, uh, jasper and ruby or carnelian in some versions beaming out of him. And then we read that surrounding the throne is a rainbow. And it has the appearance of emerald. Uh, The images of the throne and the precious stone and the rainbow are telling us something about God. The throne tells us that he is the king. The carnelian and the the ruby and, and and, and the jasper is revealing his bright, shining majesty. And the rainbow around the throne is telling us that his reign is characterised by mercy and faithfulness. The rainbow takes us back to the Old Testament and the time of Noah's flood. You remember, remember, it is the sign of God's merciful promise that he'll never flood the world again, which he's kept. And what John here is describing is not so much a portrait of God's physical appearance but rather what he is like, the essence of God himself. We are also told that from the, from the throne comes flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder, verse 5. This is no passing shower. This is a mighty storm that makes one shudder. And these images are telling us while the Lord's kingship is marked by mercy and faithfulness, it is also marked by judgment. From the throne comes the judgment of God. Then before the throne, we are told that John sees what, he sees what looks like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the time of the scriptures, the churning sea signified chaos, danger, fear. The the tossing sea is personified as an uncontrolled beast. But no such disorder exists within the presence of God. The beast is tamed. And instead of chaos, danger and fear, there is peace, order and beauty. The sea of glass before the throne of God is telling us that in God's presence, 
the effects of evil and injustice and ungodliness and brokenness are nowhere to be found. Evil has no place. Where God reigns, peace rules. Can you begin to see what this vision is telling us about God? He is the majestic king whose reign is marked by mercy and faithfulness. The holy judge who judges all men and where he rules, peace reigns. Now this raises the question of what ought to be the right response to such a glorious and mighty God. Well, from what John sees in his vision, the response that fits such a king is worship. Now look with me at six, verses 6 to 8. I'll start halfway through verse 6. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the, his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. These four beasts symbolises the totality of a created order. The, the language that is what we read here is what we call apocalyptic. It is the symbol representing that which is true. The lion symbolises nobility and royalty. The ox symbolises strength and power. The man symbolises wisdom and discernment. And the eagle symbolises swiftness and speed. And as you read about these four beasts, it becomes clear that they are representing the whole of a created order. They are doing the very thing that humanity is currently failing to do. Worship God. They declare the one who sits on the throne is holy, almighty and internal, the God of the past and the present and the future. If this is how God is worshipped in heaven, why is he not worshipped like this on earth? Quite frankly, it's because mankind is inexcusably ignorant. In our rebellious state, we choose not to believe. We reject God's kingship and glory. We scoff at his mercy and faithfulness and we laugh off his coming judgment. The world despises the very one whose reign brings about that which we desperately seek, peace, order and harmony. Yet, there are some people in heaven who do worship God. There's a group of 24 people whom, according to verse 4, surround the throne and themselves are seated on thrones. Uh, 
They're dressed in white and they have gold crowns. They, like the created order in heaven, worship God. These 24 elders represent all those who throughout the history of a world have believed, loved and worshipped the Lord. It's the church. The 24 elders are symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament and the 12 apostles in the New. They represent all those who by faith believe in God. Why are they dressed in white? They've been purified by the Son of God. Why are they wearing crowns? Well, incredibly, Christ is sharing his reign with them. And why are they worshipping God? Look with me at verses 10 and 11. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honour and power for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. According to what we read in Scripture, the elders, the church, is worshipping the Lord because he is the creator of all things. And as such, the creation owes God everything. The one who sits on the throne made all things, the sea, the stars, the earth, the universe in all its complexities was spoken by God's word and came into being, including you and me here this morning. It is for God's pleasure that we have our being. We owe God everything. So here in chapter 4 of Revelation, we are being given an incredible vision as to the nature, the essence, the glory of a living God. And this vision of the glory of God ought to move us to do on earth what the angels and the church are doing right now in heaven. And that is to worship the creator who is forever praised. When you pray the Lord's Prayer and you pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what is it that is happening in heaven that you want to have see happen on earth? Here it is. The wonderful Lord being praised and honoured and exalted and glorified the one who made the world being worshipped and loved and adored and obeyed, the God who rules and brings peace to be trusted and served and thanked and lifted on high. Can you see that... Out of, there's many things in these verses that I'm not touching on today, but one thing I want to touch on. Can you see from these verses... That heaven is not just a place, but a life. It's a life of worship. And these verses ought to move us to live the heavenly life today. 
what do you think God is expecting you to do in heaven? The very same thing he expects us to be doing on earth now. Worshipping the Lord. Friends, the heavenly life is the life of faith. Faith is that faculty of your soul where God brings the spiritual realities to enliven your life. When you see a sunset and you see the beauty of that sunset, your eye is your sense for which you receive that wonderful vision. But what is it that tells you that that sunset was painted by the living God? It's the sense of the soul. It's your faith that God is bringing the spiritual realities into your inner being. And see, we live the heavenly life by faith. We love the Lord Jesus and trust him. We obey him and and set our affections upon him because through faith, the heavenly father is ministering into our lives unseen spiritual realities. What is it that moves you to to praise and honour and commune with God and seek his presence? It's through the gift of faith that God is making known to you the glory that we see in heaven. So my sisters and brothers, there's so much that can be said about this passage and really I'm only skipping over it in many ways, but this one thing. Let us seek to live the heavenly life today by faith. Devoting our lives to the one who made us for his pleasure. This is something I pray often. I pray. Lord, in your mercy and goodness, lead me today to live the heavenly life. May what happens in heaven happen in me. Oh, through your son, may I willingly give up everything for you. Lead me to reflect your righteousness to obey and honour you. Keep me from worldliness, for I need your grace. That is one way in which I'm seeking to live that life today. When we come to chapter 5, we see an incredible drama. And the reason why I've brought these two chapters together is chapter 4 is the stage, right? It's the stage on which the the drama of chapter 5 starts to take place. And what we read in in, in verse 1 is that John sees a scroll in the right hand of God. The scroll has writings on both sides and is sealed with seven seals. If we look further into the book of Revelation, which we will, we'll come to understand that this scroll is the scroll of destiny. What is written on this scroll is how the Lord will bring about the final redemption of the world. It records how the Lord will once and for all deal with the evil, the violence, the injustice, the hatred, the pain, the suffering, the chaos of this broken and messed up world. It is a scroll of destiny. That it is written on both sides tells us that it contains the full account of what God in his sovereignty has determined for the destiny of our world. 
But there's a problem, isn't there? Look with me at verses 2 and 3. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. It seems, at least initially, that scroll's never going to be opened. And if that scroll is ever going to be opened, never going to be opened, then the Lord will never bring this world to an end. And if you're going to open the scroll, then you need to have the authority to know the mind of God. You need the power of God to carry out what's written in that scroll. Who in the universe has such authority? Who knows the mind of God? That's why the Apostle John is in tears. He's weeping at the prospect that no one is able to bring about the final redemption of his broken and, 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 and disordered world. He's inconsolable. Friends, this drama in heaven is revealing to us that the creation is incapable of saving itself. We need someone to step in. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of a tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne. An elder comes to John and says, Do not weep. Look, look. The line of a tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. The line of Judah is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the king. He's the line who descended from the tribe of Judah. The root of David is referring to Jesus being that descendant of King David. And the idea, the vision here is that Christ has conquered. He's king. He's ruler. He's God. Christ has triumphed over evil and death. The image is everything that threatens the fulfilment of a Lord restoring this broken world and our broken lives is overcome by the one who's conquered, the Lord Jesus. How has Christ attained such a victory? Well, this is incredible. As John is told of a mighty line of David who has conquered, he turns and looks, and what does he see? A mighty warrior with a sword? <laughs> now, at the centre of the throne, he sees a lamb that's been slain. Why is Jesus, the conquering lion, now described as a lamb that was slain? Talk about mixed metaphors. Because Jesus' victory over death and evil was gained through sacrifice. This vision is extraordinary. The line lamb reveals to us that Christ does not triumph through a show of force, military strength, or by twisting people's arms. 
Christ's victory comes through humility, through sacrifice, through his willing obedience to the Father in heaven. When God gives to us the symbol of his infinite power, his eternal victory, his supreme authority, he does not use the symbol of an eagle or a bear or a tiger, but a slain lamb. Because it is by sacrifice the Lord Jesus had conquered death, judgment and evil. Do you remember in Matthew 28 when the Lord Jesus is about to ascend into heaven? He says, All the authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What that means is, is that the power of the entire universe is now mediated through the one who died and rose again. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who is qualified to open the scroll of destiny and bring this world to an end. And in the next few weeks, we'll see exactly how he intends to do this. But for now, once again... I feel like in some ways I'm ripping you off because I'm only focusing on one thing, but I want to draw out just one, one aspect of this vision. I want to talk about this vision of Christ as the lion lamb. Have you ever considered what the shed blood of Christ means to the Father in heaven? According to Romans 3.25, it means that the Father atones your sins, remembers them no more. Gone. According to Hebrews 9, it means that the Father has given to you an eternal redemption and cleansed your conscience. And according to Romans 10, the blood of Christ to the Father means that he now not only has made you holy... But he's making you holy. And if you remember Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and the Last Supper, he said, this is the blood of a new covenant. And so the blood of Christ is a means which the Father fulfills the new covenant promises in our lives. That is, he makes our hearts tender to want to obey and love him. We have fellowship. We, we live in the presence of God. And our, and our sins, again, are completely wiped away. But now in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, we read, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God. Here we learn that the power of Christ's blood is not limited to setting us free, from our sins, but it's the means through which the Lord will bring this world to an end. There's power in the blood of Christ. If the blood of Christ meant as much to us as it means to the Father, we would live with the boldness and the confidence that we so deeply desire. If we value the blood of Christ as much as the Father does, 
we would not suffer the burden of guilt as much as we do. Nor would we be seeking to cover our shame. Our struggle to forgive others would be lessened and our growth in holiness would be exponential. We would humble ourselves in prayer with a boldness and a joy that would be infectious. Our ability to persevere in suffering and endure loss would match that of the apostles. My sisters and brothers, allow the blood of Christ to mean as much to you as it does to the Father. Value the blood of Christ as much as the Father does, for there is power in the blood. The foundation upon which your confidence rests, your confidence that God forgives you, cleanses you, makes you holy, is making you holy. Your confidence that God will come to your aid in your suffering, will comfort you in your pain, counsel you in your certainties. Your confidence that God would liberate you, redeem you and one day resurrect you rests on the blood of Christ. So my encouragement this morning is by faith that faculty of your soul Rest your past, your presence, and your future in the power of Christ's blood. Let me lead you in prayer. Oh, Father, that you would so mercifully give to us a vision of your glory this morning is humbling. Father, that you would show us the wonder and the glory of your son and his death and resurrection. It brings joy to our soul. Father, would you please today make our one desire to live in your presence, our one choice to do your will, our one help to trust in you, and our one hope to be made in your likeness. Please, through the power of Christ Jesus, his death and his resurrection, would you fulfil that in each one of us this morning? In Christ's name, amen.